chapter 9. The book of Judges, chapter 9. We see a, a downward spiral in the book of Judges with God's chosen people, his own people. Of all the nations in the world, Israel should love him first and most. You agree? I mean, God has rescued them over and over. He has, take them, he has created them as a nation. He has taken them out of Egypt from 400 years of slavery through 10 dramatic plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea, the food, the bread in the wilderness, the manna in the wilderness, the water from a rock, 38 years um, after Mount Sinai of providing everything so their shoes did not wear out, their clothes did not wear out. They had everything in the wilderness. Even though they were disobedient and they just circled around for 40 years, God provided every single need they had. Their response, because of God's grace, should have been one of adoration and worship. True? They should have followed the first commandment and have no other gods. But you know, they were just like us, or we are just like them, they found that they did not want the true God of Israel to bring them the joy and peace that he would provide. They sought joy and peace with the gods of the Canaanites. So as they entered the land, God made it really clear, drive them out. If you don't drive them out, then kill them. If they won't be driven out, you must kill them, every single one in the Canaanite families, um, of all of those different tribes that were in the promised land. The reason is, God had given them, according to the book of Genesis, hundreds of years to place their faith in him. And they were rebellious and wicked, even though he had gone to them and had made evidence of his nature to them, they refused. And so finally God said, my children are entering the land, and if you will not believe, you will be driven out or you will be killed. But you know what Israel did not do? They did not drive them out or kill them all. They became a snare. And, they, and then Israel began to love, the, love and worship the same gods of the Canaanites. And they began to act like the Canaanites and think like the Canaanites. They never left God. They always had God in the back of their mind, but they just added to him. He just wasn't enough. It just wasn't enough. And we, in the modern culture, have that same problem. Although we don't have gods or idols of stone or wood overlaid with metal, as I mentioned this morning, our gods are so subtle. Fame, possessions, finances, comfort. Comfort's a god. You'll do anything to have comfort. I mean, there's many things that we will do in order to have something that we think will bring us some satisfaction and contentment. When the truth is, they will always bring us up empty. They'll be limited by our own sinful nature or by the surrounding culture. They will never satisfy, and we'll find that out in the text tonight. And we will end up in misery and despair. Our whole life will fall apart. And the reason is because our hope is not found in the Lord, but it was trying to be found in some aspect of the created culture. And that became more important or central to us than the one true God. And so that's the cycle. You know, you know that um, there's been a, a downward spiral even with the character of the judges. You know what's unique about the Gideon episode? Out of all the judges, Othniel, Ahud, then we have Shamgar, then we have Deborah and Barak. With Gideon, it's the first time the nation Israel began to backslide with the judge. Normally, the judge held everything together with a, a form of godliness until they died. Then the nation Israel went off into wickedness. But for Gideon, the whole nation began to turn into idolatry and wickedness right away under the judge. Not only that, but Othniel, Ahud, Shamgar, Deborah, Barak, all of those judges, 
at least had some integrity in their character, and Gideon just showed flaw after flaw as we saw this morning. So we ended with this whole pattern of Gideon's life. He started out in chapter 6 as a fearful man. He knew God's word, he knew God's promises, but he just couldn't fully trust God. He needed assurance and sign after sign. And one sign wasn't enough, two signs wasn't enough. The wet fleece wasn't enough, the dry fleece wasn't enough, the dream wasn't enough. He just could never get himself to total abandonment to God. But many Christians are like that. Many Christians have the intellect and the knowledge of God's word, but are not willing to obey it fully. They're not willing to say, this is what God says, and this is where I will stand, no matter what the consequence. Now, we cave often way too early. We, we cave just to appease and satisfy our own comfort zone. And Israel was like that. Of course, we know that at the end of the whole scene, no, Gideon, he had a, a shaky start. He was... He had a shaky start. But once he got going with the victory of the 300, what a shining moment that Hebrews 11 brings up. He, with a small group of 300, went against the Midianites who had 135,000, and there was a great victory. And Gideon is a shining example of a man of faith. But that's it. We can't look at the start of his walk, and we can't look at the end of his life. We can only look at that one snippet and say, now here's a man of God. And what do we know Gideon for? The 300. That's it, right? But Gideon, remember, he forgot this right away. He failed in three areas. The nation Israel came to Gideon and said, Gideon, we want you to be king, and then your son and your grandson after you. Start a whole hereditary line of kings. And Gideon rightfully, with a proper doctrine, said, I will not be your king. Only the Lord God shall rule over you. Sound doctrine. That's excellent teaching, Gideon. Way to go. But what was his behavior that we saw this morning? Immediately, no sooner does he say, I will not be your king, than he begins to act like one. And we we saw in Judges 8, he says, I want all of you to break off your gold earrings and give them to me. Kind of as a form of tribute. I am your leader. You give me your taxes through the golden earrings. And he received 1,700 shekels of gold. Plus, he had the gold chains of the camels of Zeba and Zomuna. He had the crescent ornaments that he had stolen from the Midianites. He had their purple robes. He was amassing himself a great fortune. Even though he said he would not be their king, he was beginning to act like a king. And often, we know the right doctrine. We can quote the verses. We can find it in the book. And yet, we are just not willing to to do it. We're just not willing to to abandon ourselves to Christ. We always have to hold back for a safety net, our own pleasures, our own agenda, our own rights, so we feel we will not lose in the end. And that's a sad thing. Then you know what he does with it? How how does he lose in his faith? He takes some of the money and he builds an ephod. What's an ephod in Judges 8? The ephod is what the high priest wore that would show, and, and it had the urim and thummim in it. It would show the guidance of God. And wasn't that Gideon's whole issue from the start? God, I want to make sure this is your will. Please, give me some sign it's your will. And even though the Lord did, Gideon could not abandon himself to trust the Lord. So he builds an ephod. This ephod is going to give guidance, but that's not what God said. God said the guidance comes from the one high priest that I choose in the tabernacle. There is a tabernacle and a high priest wearing an ephod, but Gideon doesn't go there. He builds his own and puts it up in his city, and all Israel becomes a a harlot to it, the Bible says, and Gideon and and his family become harlots 
with this, with this idol image, this idol work of an ephod. Do you see the, the fall of Gideon? And then finally, he totally fails in his family. Even though he says he's not a king, he now is acting with the guidance of God with the ephod. He's got a mass of treasury as tribute and tax from the people. And he has 70 sons from many wives. You want to gain influence? Marry a lot of women. You can impact a lot of families when you are the husband of many women. And he probably had women all over the country that he was having children with. So he has 70 children. Plus, he has a concubine, a slave woman in Shechem. And she bears him a son named Abimelech. And Abimelech means what? My father is king. So if you say you're not going to be the king, but you name your son, my dad's the king, what's really going on in your heart? Right? This is, you guys, this book of Judges is a good heart examination. Because we can fall into idolatrous ways. We can begin to love the world without even realizing it. Well, let's take a look at Judges 9 for our time this evening. Let's pray. Father, as we look now at the story in the life of Abimelech, help us understand why you gave us a whole chapter about one of Gideon's sons. What can we learn, Father? Teach us through the power of the Holy Spirit, through his ministry of enlightening our eyes, and then we pray for his power to obey, that we would not live without your guidance without your word, and without the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to not love the world wrongly, that we would not adore and have affection for those things which ultimately will destroy and bring nothing but misery in our lives. Keep us a holy and a set-apart people for your glory and honor, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Judges 9, here it is, everybody. It's a long chapter, but we're going to take our time. We're going to walk right through it. And as we walk through it, I'll read sections, and, I'll, and we'll talk together here. Verse 1 of Judges 9. Everybody knows Abimelech now, right? It's Gideon's son. Gideon has 70 sons plus Abimelech. And Abimelech is not a, from a wife. It's from a concubine, uh, like a slave woman that he has a relationship with. God's word says... Then Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, that's Gideon. Jerubbabel is Gideon's kind of pagan Canaanite name. Then Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, went to Shechem, that's where his concubine mother lived, to his mother's brothers, and spoke with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, listen to what he said, Please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. Which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jerubbabel reign over you, or that one reign over you? Remember that I am your, flesh, your own flesh and bone. Okay, now he's being really sneaky, isn't he? Gideon is not a king. He died now. Gideon's dead. He had never set up any of his sons to be king. And now Abimelech is seeking something that God has not given him. Abimelech is seeking power. Power is his God. He wants to have power and control over all the people. And he does it by manipulating the people of Shechem. He goes to his hometown and he says, Hey, listen, my, my mother's brothers, all of his relatives in Shechem. Gideon is dead. Everybody knows Gideon was a great ruler, but he's dead. Now Gideon has 70 sons living in Ophrah, but I am from Shechem. Do you want those 70 sons ruling over you? They're going to be awful. They're going to take everything from you. They're the worst. Or do you want me? I'm the good guy. I'm the best guy around. I will be your king. And trust me, I will protect you and make you. I will give you everything. Free college, 
I will, I, honestly, I'll give you everything. Don't listen to those 70 sons of, of Gideon, that type of thing. Do you see what he's doing? He's manipulating with some slick talk the people of Shechem. Be wary of those who speak with silver tongues, right? We tend to listen to and grab on to any promise that somebody gives us, even though there's nothing to substantiate it. But when we get the promise of Jesus Christ, of eternal life through the death and resurrection, it is something to hold on to fast and firm. That is something that is a guarantee, right? So why would we hold the cross loosely and then all of this other stuff tightly when it should be the other way around? All of this earthly stuff we should hold with a loose hand and hold tightly and fast to the cross of Jesus Christ. But Abimelech, he sways the masses, and it says in verse 3, And his mother's brothers spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. So his own brothers now begin to talk to everybody in Shechem. Hey, you guys, we want Abimelech to be our ruler. We don't want any of the 70 sons of Gideon to come over and take control. we got to do something about this. It's a big emergency. National emergency going on. It's either Abimelech or those 70 evil sons of Gideon. The Bible says at the end of verse 3, and their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech. For they said, he is our brother. Hey, we'd we'd rather have somebody from Shechem ruling over us than Gideon's sons of Ophrah, right? Okay, we understand. Here's where it gets awful. Not only does Abimelech manipulate the people of Shechem, he now is going to slaughter Gideon's sons, his own half-brothers. He's going to slaughter with a treasonous motive. Look at this. Verse 4, so they gave him, the people of Shechem, gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baal Barit, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. Okay, so he gets 70 shekels of silver. He hires out thugs, just basic, no good criminals. He hires them and he says, you guys follow me. We're going to Ophir tonight. We've got a mission all right, we're getting, I'm getting a little scared here just reading this. The Bible says in verse 5, Then he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the 70 sons of Drubabel, on one stone. Does that shock you? It should. He killed all 70 brothers on one stone, which to me tells me he killed them one at a time in front of each other. Takes Jether, the oldest. Here's your stone. By the way, I personally think it's a wine press stone, which is where God first appeared to Gideon. And now at that same wine press, all of because of Gideon's lack of faith and following God, his son Abimelech is going like a maniac. He's like a Hitler. Listen, he takes one son, kills him. Takes the next son, kills him. While the rest of the 67 are watching the third one gets killed. The next one, and they're all watching their brothers until the 69th one. 69 sons are dead, and they're looking around. Hey, where's Jotham? He's the youngest. He's gone. Somebody's got to find Jotham. We've got to kill that last one. Jotham escaped because he was hiding. Can I tell you what's alarming about this text, everyone? To show you how bad it was in the time of the judges, you read nothing in the scriptures that Israel was outraged. There's no outrage. They are morally anesthetized. Uh, anesthetized. How do you say it? Anesthetized. That's, that's it. That's what they were. 
They were morally deadened. There was, you, you guys, I have read this a hundred times now. I, I, the more I read it, the more I think, where was the outcry? Where were the people saying, stop killing Gideon's sons? This is not right. Nobody is saying a thing. How many babies are being aborted in our country every single day? Honestly. And now they want to kill the baby after it has been born, saying that it's still part of an act of abortion? Where's the outrage? Where's the cry of, this is morally wrong. This is murder. I'm talking to my high school students in my Bible study about issues like this. Now that we've covered, we keep covering the gospel over and over, but now I'm adding other things and we're talking about life and I'm explaining how a baby in a mother's womb is life. From conception, it is life. It is a living, breathing baby, human life. And for abortion to happen, you have to murder that life. And my students who were unsaved, and probably some are still unsaved, they are outraged at abortion now. And I'm like, why weren't you outraged in August? They're like, well, we didn't, we didn't think through this. We just listened to what people tell us. You're Abimelech. You're just listening, you know, you're getting people... That's what the world is. The world is an Abimelech telling people how to think, and people are not even thinking truth and righteousness. We should be outraged with what is going on. I'm talking about it all. Same-sex marriage, we should be outraged. The breakdown of the family, it's going to destroy our country. God is going to judge our country. He has no choice. He has to. There is no choice. But we sit passively back, Saying, Lord, come, come in the rapture. Come tonight so I have to deal with anything else. You know, these people, because I'm like that. Lord, bring the rapture. I don't want to have to deal with this mess. I'm outraged. And, we, and you ought to as well. But look at what the rest of the text says. In verse 5, the end of verse 5. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbabel, was left because he hid himself. So the last one is alive. Praise the Lord. And all the men of Shechem gathered together, all of Bet Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. Abimelech should have been condemned. He should have been condemned to death. He was coronated as king. It's a, this is what was going on in the days of the judges when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You know what is going on in America today? Everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. If it feels good, do it. You cannot tell me otherwise. You cannot tell me I cannot do anything. I have rights. However, if you believe in Jesus and the word of God, you have no rights at all. Keep your stuff to yourself and we don't want to hear about it because that is not anything that has to do with life. But if you ever tell me I can't do something, you know, you are totally wrong. I mean, this is the culture. We are living in the days of the judges when everybody is doing what's right in their own eyes. Now, Let's talk about the next section. We move from that horrendous scene to Jotham. There is a voice. There is a voice that is opposed to Abimelech. It is Jotham. Now look at verse 7. Now when they had told Jotham, see now Jotham knows 69 of his brothers are dead. He went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and lifted his voice and cried out. Are you guys familiar at all with Shechem? Can I t- uh, we don't have a lot of time, but can I tell you a little bit about Shechem? Shechem is a, is a little village. It's a big village now, but it's a village that's nestled in the valley of two mountains. Mount Gerizim is one, all right? And then um, 
This is where Jotham is, is, and then Mount Ebal is the other. So there's two mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. Do those names sound familiar? In the Old Testament, right before these days, God told Joshua, when you come into the Promised Land, gather everybody at Shechem, and then have six tribes on Mount Gerizim and six tribes on Mount Ebal. And then the six tribes here are going to give the blessings on Israel if they obey your word. And then these six tribes will shout out the curses if they don't obey, obey your word. It's a huge place of God's word and truth. So now at Shechem, Jotham gets up on Mount Gerizim. He runs up there. He gets everybody in the village down below. He gets their attention. He's like, I am Jotham, the son of Gideon. I am the only sole survivor of the murderous rampage of Abimelech. And then he says, I have a story for you. He tells them a parable. Actually, we would call that a fable because you have inanimate objects that are talking. Here's what it is, verse 7. Now, when they told Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and he lifted up his voice and he cried out, Hey, praise the Lord for the one voice that will oppose the culture. We need that in America. We need men and women to stand up and say, Enough, this is not right. We don't find that, but we, we need to find that more. I mean, we do find it, but we, we do need to find that more. Here's what he said. Listen to this fable. Listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. You know what that tells me? Even in the midst of all this horrifying news, there's grace. Shechem, the men of Shechem, if you listen to what I say about truth, and you respond with, with repentance, with brokenness, then God would hear you when you cry out to him. Otherwise, if you're going to be hard-hearted, God has no choice, but he will destroy you. But isn't it neat? He says, men of Shechem, listen to me, and if you listen and respond appropriately, then the God of heaven will listen to you. What a, what a, what a beautiful story that God is willing to listen to his rebellious creatures. Here's the story, verse 8. The trees once went forth to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, so do you picture the trees are trying to anoint a king? They said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, should I cease giving my oil with which they honor God and men and go to sway over trees? You know, olive oil is used for anointing. It's used for medicine, light, light in the wick candles. Um, it's used for soap. It's used for cooking. I mean, it's got many good purposes. So the olive tree says, I will not rule over you. I'm busy doing good and useful things for God and man. The trees said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Should I cease my sweetness and my good fruit and go to sway over trees? Because the, sweet, the fig would be used as a sweetener for cakes and, and desserts and all sorts of foods. And it was a delicious treat anyways. It was just good food to eat. And the fig tree says, No, I will not reign over you. I'm busy doing good for man. And then verse 12, the, the trees said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Should I cease my new wine, which cheers both God and men, and go to sway over trees? Hmm. It sounds like the people are desperate for a leader. And they, at this point, are now willing to follow anyone. Be careful. Look at what happens. Verse, thir- verse 14. Then all the trees said to the bramble. That's what the New King James says, bramble. Do you know what the word is in Hebrew? Thorn bush. Where, where did thorns come from? The curse in the Garden of Eden. Uh-oh. Are they about to do something foolish? Are they about to pick the wrong man as their ruler? A bramble bush? A thorn bush? That comes out of the curse of the Garden of Eden? 
So they said to the bramble, you come and reign over us. By the way, can I ask you a question? What good is a thorn bush? First of all, you do not get shade from a thorn bush. You get poked in the eye because you got too close to it. Um, you do not get fruit from a thorn bush. Sorry, no fruit available. You do not get beautiful oil for cooking and for light out of a thorn bush. All you get from a thorn bush is a quick and rapid fire or a sharp poke in the eye. So the trees said to the bramble, we'll take you as our king. And the bramble said to the trees, if in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and, listen to this, take shelter in my shade. Do you know what this politician is doing? He is making promises that he cannot deliver. I have, he has no shade to offer, but he says, come, take shelter in my shade. I actually want to put this together in a, in a little pamphlet for the upcoming elections because I think this is very true. Listen, you choose the wrong person for our offices and our nation, and our nation goes a certain way that we will suffer from. It is true. Um, you come and make promises that you cannot deliver. Here's what's going to happen. If not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. That little thorn bush is going to emit fire and many will die. All right, that's Jotham. Basically, what is Jotham saying? Let's read it. He's got a challenge and a curse. I've got to hurry up here. So verse 16. Now, therefore, if you have acted in truth, by the way, Jotham means God is truth. If you have acted in truth and sincerity in making Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Drobabel, which they haven't, and his house, they murdered him, and they murdered all the children, and have done to him as he deserves, for my father, Gideon, fought for you, risked his life, delivered you out of the hand of Midian, but you have risen up against my father's house this day, and killed his 70 sons on one stone, and you made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the men of Shechem, because he is your brother. If then you have acted in truth and sincerity with Drubabel and his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech, and let him rejoice in you. But if not... If you've been bad about this, let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and Beth Milo. Let fire come from men of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech, meaning they're all going to get destroyed. Abimelech will destroy the people and the people will destroy Abimelech. Of course, verse 21 is a smart verse. Jotham ran away. <laughs> he ran away and fled. I mean, Abimelech didn't like that message and neither did the people of Shechem. They went, he went to Beer and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother. By the way, we never hear of Jotham again. But he does have a great message. Now we see how this ends. So now we're going to take this quick end of the downfall of Abimelech. Um, by the way, throw this, let me throw this out. So far, we have not seen anything of God in this text. Where is God? Is he, has he forgotten Israel? Has he taken his hands off the nation? The answer is no. He's actually working behind the scenes like he is in our country. We don't know that God is working in the USA. We don't see it, but he is. He's working behind our country, but we don't, we don't know yet, but we'll be able to see it someday. Well, look at how God is mentioned in this text. Verse 22, after Abimelech had reigned over Israel three years. So Abimelech is now the king. Do you think those three years were pleasant or rough? I would say they were very rough. He is not a godly man. He's there only for himself. He's bringing great harm on people. For three years, God lets it go. And I bet the godly people of Israel, there were godly people, some, a small remnant, they must have been like, God, what are you doing? We got the worst guy in office, Abimelech. 
I wish we could say something, but we don't dare. We're too afraid. And they just hover and cower for year after year. Now three years. Here's what God does. God sent a spirit of ill will. Oh, he is working. God sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. That the crime done to the 70 sons of Jeroboam might be settled and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them and on the men of Shechem who aided him in the killing of his brothers. And the men of Shechem set men in ambush against him on the tops of the mountains, and they robbed all who passed by them along the way, and it was told Abimelech. So Abimelech is not actually living in Shechem, but the men of Shechem don't like Abimelech anymore. They liked him for a moment, but now that the mutual benefit's gone, they're taking advantage of him, so they're stealing from people on the roads. Anybody going on the roads, give me your money, give me your goods, get out of here. And Abimelech hears The men of Shechem are not treating the people well. They're stealing and robbing. Why are they stealing and robbing? They have no money. Why don't they have any money? Because Abimelech has all the money. He's the king. It's what happens when you get the wrong ruler. They take all your money. It's true. So look at what God does. Verse 26. Now Gaal, the son of Ebed, came with his brothers and went over to Shechem. And the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. Hey, you guys, the men of Shechem are very fickle. One moment they're trusting Abimelech's slick words. Now they're going to trust Gaal. They're going to trust Gaal with his slick words. Verse 27 They went on into the fields, they gathered grapes from the vineyards, trod them, made merry. They went into the house of their God, they ate, they drank, they cursed Abimelech. So they're not too happy with this guy. Then Gaal, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech and who is Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Drubabel? By the way, basically, Gaal says the same thing Abimelech said. Abimelech said, don't trust the 70 sons of Gideon because they're not Shechemites like me. Now, Gaal says, Abimelech's not a full Shechemite. He's still part Gideon. Get rid of the guy. Then he says this, wouldn't life be better under me than under Abimelech? Isn't that what Abimelech said? See what comes around goes around in these weird pagan circles, political circles. Well, let me just tell you the story because of time, okay? Basically, basically, the ruler of the city finds out, tells Abimelech what Gaal's doing. Abimelech comes into town and actually hides his men up in the mountains, up in the hills, Gerizim and Ebal. And then Gaal is up on the, on the edge of the city, looking on the city walls. It's early morning. It's dark. Okay, the sun's beginning to come up. And Gaal's like, hey, I see trees moving up there. Wait, wait a minute. Those aren't trees. Those are people. And the guard up on the, on the, on the wall said, Oh, Gaal, those are, not, those are just trees moving. You're right. Those are not men. Don't worry. Those are not men. It's Abimelech's men. They come in and they chase Gaal out of town. All right, so you'll read all about that. They chase Gaal out of town. Look at verse 42. Hop down to verse 42. So Gaal is now kicked out of town. Abimelech's back. And it sounds like It sounds like things are going to get worse under this maniac. Verse 42, And it came about on the next day, the people of Shechem went out into the field, and listen, it was told to Abimelech. You guys, this is the men of Shechem now, out in the field. Not just Gaal, Gaal's gone. It's the men. So he took his people, divided them into three companies, and lay in wait in the field. And he looked, and there were the people coming out of the city, and he arose against them and attacked them. You guys, the people were out working in their fields, and Abimelech just goes out and ravages the men and kills them in the fields. He is wicked. He is power hungry. He is 
He is living without God in his life. Verse 44, Then Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city, this is Shechem, and the other two companies rushed upon all who were in the fields and killed them. So Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He took the city and killed the people who were in it, and he demolished the city and sowed it with salt. How many thousands died that day? Now remember, Abimelech is whose son? Gideon's son, the great Gideon, has brought forth a son, Abimelech, who is a monster. He has now killed, he has chased Gaal out of town, he has now killed and leveled the whole city of Shechem. Verse 46, Now when all the men of the tower of Shechem had heard that, they entered the stronghold of the temple of the god Berit. And it was told Abimelech that all the men of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. Then Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, he and all the men who were with him, and Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bow from the trees and took it and laid it on his shoulder. And he said to the people who were with him, what you have seen me do, make haste and do as I have done. Okay, is this making sense? You guys, Abimelech goes out to the field and he cuts, he cuts a, a bow off of a tree, puts it on his shoulder, and he says, all right, all of you men with me, do the same thing. And so everybody's got an evergreen branch on their shoulder. And he goes to the tower. Look at what God's word says. Um, Verse 49. So each of the people likewise cut down his own bow and followed Abimelech, put them against the stronghold, and set the stronghold on fire above them. All these people are trapped in a tower. There's a fire burning at the base, and the entire tower goes up in in flames, so that all the people of the Tower of Shechem died, about a thousand men and women. Can you imagine the screaming as the fire engulfed them and burned their bodies? A thousand men and women in this tower? I would say this is pretty brutal. Hey, this is what happens when a culture forgets God and doesn't respond to the gospel. Is there any, really, is there any... Is there any um, questions about why there's school shootings? Is there any question about why there's office place shootings? I mean, it's, it's Abimelech stuff happening all the time, isn't it? Somebody's angry, I, I got fired, my girlfriend left me, I'm going to shoot up the school, shoot up my workplace. Um, hey, this is what happens when a person's heart is without the Lord and without the gospel. It is just a natural result of the sin of man. It is the wickedness of man's rebellious heart. Uh, do you think it's going to get better or worse for uh, these people or for this country? Worse, right, until the Lord comes back. Sadly, we need to pray. We need to pray and we need to be faithful to witness. Look at verse 50 as we end the text. Then Abimelech, oh no, he went to Thebes and he encamped against... Listen, you guys, what did Thebes ever do? They're not people of Shechem. It's a whole other city. Probably they showed some support maybe, And now Abimelech is on the rampage. He's going to kill everybody in that city. So he encamps against Thebes, and he took it. But there was a strong tower. Oh, no, another tower. A strong tower in the city. And all the men and women, listen, all the people of the city fled there and shut themselves in. Then they went up to the top of the tower. They are trapped. And the monster Abimelech is probably going to burn them down. If they're going to burn them in the tower, they're going to be dead before nighttime. The Bible says in verse 52, So Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it, and he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. Can you imagine? He's got the branches and the flames ready to go. 
all but wait. God is at work. I want to meet this woman. Verse 53. But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest men say of me, a woman killed me. Which guaranteed now that we all know a woman killed him. It's in God's word. So his young men thrust him through and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man to his place. This woman... I mean, everybody's panicking. The fire is beginning, the smoke is beginning to smell up at the top of the tower. This brave woman... Has anybody ever um, held an upper millstone of a flour grinder? Ancient? Okay, I could take you to Israel and have you pick one up. It is no easy feat. This was a woman that had some strength. She picks up this upper millstone. That's the part that crushes the um, grain into fine, fine flour. And she lifts it over. He's right below her. Can you picture this? The millstone's... Clunk. Down he goes. And everybody's like... We almost died today. Isn't this the conclusion of the... What did the fable say? If you trust Abimelech, because of what you have done to Gideon and his family, what, if you trust Abimelech, you will get burned. And Abimelech, you also are going to get burned in return. And did they not get burned? All of Shechem died, and then Abimelech died. See, that's just tragic. It, it is just horrifying what man left to himself will do. Do you, do you see now, you, what you want to know, do you see the greatness of the gospel? Do you see what the gospel does? The gospel transforms the human heart. The gospel changes our heart. It changes our affections. It changes our direction. It, it, it liberates us. It frees us from the idolatry of sin, the enslaving of sin that would drive us to act like this because this is bound up in every man and woman on earth. This evil heart of unbelief is possible of a Christian even. A Christian can act like Abimelech. Somebody asked me this morning, it was a great question, do I think Gideon's in heaven? And the answer is yes. Even though he really didn't have a lot to show, that is God's grace. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are granted eternal life apart from your works. Do you think Gideon's rewards are great? I mean, who knows? Probably not. But he's in heaven, because heaven's not based on what we do. It's based on what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. But we ought to then live a life that is worthy of the gospel. Whatever the weight and value of the gospel is, our life and affection should be worthy of that. So why are we in love with the, is it the Oscars or whatever? Just Like, why are we in love with the pageantry of the world? When all it will do, and it's, if, we left, if we were left, if that's all we had, it would drive us to this. We'd be burning each other's houses and stealing from each other and killing each other like crazy. That is life without the gospel. Dark. No wonder why they cried out, we need a Savior. And that's why we, we say, thank you, we have a Savior. He has rescued us. He has brought us from darkness to light. Now, can I say one last thing as we end? Thus God, verse 56, thus God repaid the wickedness. See, he was working. God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father by killing his 70 brothers. And all the evil of the men of Shechem, God returned on their own heads. They all died in that tower fire. And on them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbabel. Um, 
Listen, everyone, I'm so glad I'm not God, because if I was God and that was Israel, at this point in the book of Judges, I'd be like, okay, I am done with you all. I'm not playing this game anymore. You can all die, and I'll start over, or I won't even start ever again. Just let everybody perish. But God is a God of grace. Do you know what he does? He rescues Israel again and again and again and again, and they get worse. And You think this is bad? You think this is bad? Wait till you get to Jephthah. The judge Jephthah. You think that's bad? Wait till we get to Samson. Man, he'll trade anything for a night with a woman. I mean, he is absolutely the, like, the least godly man you could choose in the Bible. But yet the Bible says Samson is a man of faith. Okay, he is. We have to agree with that. It's God's word. But I, just, I think it's amazing how God rescues and rescues. He never gives up, never gives up. Can I tell you right now, he has not given up on you. He has not given up on you. He is always in a process of restoring and uh, rescuing and restoring our lives. So what's our response? Our response is one of trust and gratitude and obedience, right? So let's, let's, be, let's be men and women like Jotham, willing to stand up against this culture and oppose it, to say, no, this is wickedness. This is sin. I will not have a part of it. Um, this is what God says. I will, not, I will not go that direction. That's what we need. We need men and women who will stand up and declare the gospel. That's what we need. So glad I'm not living in the days of the judges. Ooh. All right, well, let's, we'll continue on with Tola. Oh, Tola. You will not believe. Next Sunday morning, I'm going to talk about Tola, Yair. We'll get into Jephthah. But even the name Tola, it is all gospel. It is really cool. I was going to bring it up this morning. There just wasn't time. All right. Um, let's pray. Before we pray, I just um, thank you for being here tonight. What a, what a night. And thank you for the special music, all the beautiful music. Dick, how, how is, I know we've been, we just prayed for your mom, but um, we'll keep praying for your mom now in these days, but um, it's getting close. But I know your mom is, is a godly woman, and um, I know she loves the Lord and knows the gospel, and um, yeah, we're praying for you. I was going to some things that come across a letter, or not letter, but um, an eternal, eternal security um, letter that we got about. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that made a oh, that's um, precious. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, your mom is a dear lady. She's, God has given her a, a great long life on earth, but still, it, it's always hard. Yeah, yeah right. She still has her life. And I know. I know, sharp woman. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we're sorry, and we're but we're rejoicing that she knows the Lord, and she will she will see, be able to see her Savior. Yeah. I know. Yeah, sweet lady. We're thankful for you, Dick. We really just appreciate you and Lauren. Love you guys, and we're here. We're here for you, and we're we're praying for you. Okay.